0: Uh, if you will open your Bible as we settle in, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to say a couple of things up front. First, today we're going to finish the first chapter of Hebrews. But don't think that we're going to finish a chapter every two weeks from now on. It's going to really, we're going to be pumping the brakes. And uh, as Jeremy said last week, we're going to be in this book for a while. And so, yeah, but we're going to be in Hebrews 1 today. We will finish the chapter looking uh, again at this uh, this series, really part one of this Hebrew series entitled uh, Jesus is Greater. But before we jump into that, the other thing I want to do is I want to take a moment on the heels of, man, uh, a Wednesday night that was a great time of just celebration and fellowship where we got together for the block party and I uh, got to meet, uh, I mean, uh, people from Brenham that we maybe never met before, new visitors, guests came and they celebrated with us and it was a really good time of, of food and uh, snow cones and uh, a lot of inflatables. I think I even saw some adults racing at one point, which is always great. Uh, but, uh, man, I would be remiss if I didn't take just a moment to, uh, man, thank uh, Katie Bell and Ashley Hartnett for kind of leading out in planning and preparation. And so, Katie and Ashley, y'all did a great job. Uh, man, we are so grateful for all the hard work that y'all put in in uh, putting that together. You can still see some of the decorations out today as well. But with that, as we enter into Hebrews, I want to start with a question. And the question is this. What is the answer? What is the answer? Jesus. Good job. Y'all are like, this is a trick. <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, we don't live in a shame culture. Um, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> Jesus is the answer, right? Like, we talk about that all the time. Like, if you have to have an answer for a test, like, just write, Jesus. Kids, don't do that. Uh, study hard. Uh, but man, in life, like the answer to life's questions, like we can always, without fail, go to Jesus. We can go to the Word of God and it directs us to the person and work of Jesus and what He has done. And so really, even as we set up this series, we, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Man, the more I read the book of Hebrews, the more I see it's just, man, it's all about Jesus. Which is why in this series we've labeled it, Jesus is greater. This is part one of that, but man, part one of this series we saw last week is that we are going to work through this letter that was written to what was likely a a second generation group of Jewish Christians who seem to really be facing some form of persecution for their faith. And what that's done is it's created this threat or this pressure on their lives. And kind of what we see the, the writer of Hebrews doing is he's saying, hey, get your eyes off of those things and get your eyes on Jesus. He is the answer even in this situation. Don't turn back, which is the threat for men. I don't know if you are like me, but man, when a threat or, or something happens, when life gets hard, then I have to remind myself to turn to Jesus because I can want to turn to a lot of different things. I can want to turn to the comfort of a really good nap. Right? Like for me, that's it. If I'm having a hard time, I'm like, let's just go lay down and go to sleep. Right? I just want to go take a nap. But we can run to comfort or or some sense of perceived safety. You ever in the midst of a situation just not know what to do, so you just go back to what worked previously? Or maybe what you used to know? You see, I think that the, the people that, uh, that the, this rider is riding to, they, they're, man, the, there's this threat of this pressure to go back to what they thought they knew to be true. Because what is actually true, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, it is not, in their eyes, producing as the truth of comfort and peace that they thought it might be. You ever feel that way? I mean, just think about it. Here's a few ways that we kind of do this. Just to kind of help us out a little bit. First, man, one of the ways we do this in life is we, we have adages or things that we say like the grass is always what? It's always greener on the other side, right? And so we look at the lives of others and say, well, I just want what they have because they don't have the same problems I have, right? Maybe it's they have more financial stability and so if I just had more money, I would have what? Well, you're gonna have more problems, right? Like dig. Uh, but like, if I would have more money, I would have more satisfaction. I would have more security. I would have more comfort. I would be okay. You see, the thing about that is it never. Because guess what? We're never satisfied, right? You ever receive a gift, and as soon as you get the gift, you get jealous that somebody else that got a gift right next to you. And my youngest, like he, like that's him. Like he'll be like, "Yeah, I want that." And he'll get what we, we, you know, we'll get it for him, and then his brother will get something, and he looks, he's like, no, but I really want that. Like, I don't want this anymore, right? What I thought would bring comfort, what I thought would bring joy, doesn't do it because I just want what the next person has. Maybe in that going back to what you knew or what you thought once worked, Maybe you think that's gonna work, right? Like you've done something a hundred times, right? Like I've, di- I've driven, uh, uh, hundreds of T-posts in the ground, right? And then there's this one day that I decide to drive one and the driver hits me on the head and almost knocks me out and blood's everywhere. Last Wednesday, right before the blog party. <laughs> but I thought I could do it because man, I've done it. It's easy. When I was 20, I'm not 20 anymore. We run to things like quick fixes, to old habits, to numbing sin. We run to those things rather than the substance that is the gift of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And so we see that the answer is that Jesus is greater. We see that what these people are wrestling with, what we also wrestle with, but the purpose of this letter, the writer of Hebrews is arguing is that Jesus is the answer. And what He does is over and over again, He shows us that everything else is just a sign pointing to the substance. And so in the midst of every circumstance, be it culture, politics, persecution, or even immense suffering, you see, as a follower of Jesus, we come with the view, we should come with the view of the King that rules the kingdom. That He holds all authority and He is greater than all seen or unseen. Therefore, we can have confidence and security because Jesus is greater. We find hope in that God still speaks through His Word. The Son that put on flesh. And Jesus can be trusted because He is the true prophet, priest, and King You see, my heart for working through this series is that, uh, man, my view, but also your view of Jesus would grow. That each week you would leave this place with a bigger view of who Jesus is. And as your view of Jesus grows bigger and bigger, your worship and your obedience and following Him, the substance would do the same. That you would truly see that Jesus is greater, but in seeing that He's greater, that you would follow Him. I love it in John 9. Jesus says some really, really hard stuff to these people that were following him. He says, Man, you gotta you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he says, and after this, like these are hard saying they leave, and he looks to his disciples, he says, Where are you going? And, and and Peter looks at him and says, Where else will we go? That's what I want our lives to be. And I believe them in the writer of Hebrews, that's what he's pressing. He's like, look to no one other than Jesus. And as you look to him, follow him. As you see how great he is, follow him. And so today we're going to see that Jesus is greater than the angels. You might be asking, why in the world is this even here? I asked myself the same question earlier this week. You see, the thread again is that these people might look to angels who had, if you look through Scripture, spoke previously, then so they're looking and saying, man, maybe an angel would bring a sign or a word rather than putting their faith in the substance of Christ. Like, it would be enough if an angel would just come. It would be enough to have Jesus, but if I could just have this as well, everything would be Okay. Now, I want to say this, it's not that God could not do that. He could. But you see, our hope is built on the finished work of Christ, not the felt need of a moment. That's why we've got to look to Jesus. And so today, as we look at this and we see that Jesus is greater than the angels, again, the focus goes back on who are you looking towards? What are you looking for? We're going to see this in really three main forms today. First, we're going to see it that Jesus is greater than the angels and His identity is the Son. So we're going to see it in His Sonship next. We're going to see it in His worthiness to be worshipped because of His nature and character. And then lastly, we're going to see it that Jesus is greater than the angels because of His position and His authority. You see, when answering the question with Jesus... The follow-up to it is how. So if we're saying Jesus is greater, how is He greater? Well, let's begin. I'm going to take us all the way back to verse 1. So we looked at the first four verses last week. We're going to read the first five verses because I believe it has a lot to say uh, about our first point. really builds out the rest of our time today. So starting in verse 1, it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Okay, so quickly, what... As we lead into verse 5, what I want to do is I want to connect it again to the way that the writer begins this letter because he does such a great job in establishing that all that we find through the Word of God, specifically the Old Testament, is not simply God speaking to His people through prophets, but that everything is directing and pointing our hope to the Word who would put on flesh Jesus the Son. And so who is this Jesus? Well, in verses 3 and 4, we get this really beautiful built-out picture of Jesus. We see He's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature, which is saying He is unique and different from, from everything else. And that He upholds everything by what? By the Word of His power. You see, His Word is great. And it's not just that it's great. It's so great that it created But it doesn't just create. The writer of Hebrews says it upholds it all. Then he says that Jesus made purification for sin and set down, which, which again reveals that the work of Jesus is finished. He doesn't have to stand up again to make another sacrifice. He's done. It is finished. He sat down at the right hand of majesty. He sat down in authority. And then verse 4, having become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent in theirs. You see, essentially what we have here in these two verses is the basis for what the writer will argue in verses 5-14 through 14 regarding Jesus being greater than the angels. You see, while the thread in the midst of what they are facing might be to hope for an angel to send a word from God, again, Not uncommon through Scripture. Angels aren't the substance. Jesus is the Word that creates and upholds them. And because of what He has done, He is greater. The way the writer is going to argue this is by pointing back to the Old Testament and how it proclaimed Jesus to be such. And so, let me read verse 5 again. It says, "...for to which of the angels did God ever say..." You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Alright, so in Jewish culture, a name was way more than a name. It meant something. Like, a name was used to reveal a person's nature. It was even used to express rank or to dignify them in a certain way. Like Kyle, like, my name means nothing. Right? I think it means like rolling hills or something like it, that was very country, too. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Get back down in there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it means nothing. Like my mom just picked it because she liked it. Right. It was either Austin or Kyle. And she was like, oh, I'll go with Kyle. Praise the Lord. If your name's Austin, like, it's great. We uh, <laughs> have to sound bad, but uh, like it means nothing. My middle name means something. It's a family name. But man, if you look through scripture, like names mean something. Like even in life, like they, they express and they, they can even tell about a person at times. You ever seen this happen in life? I have a cousin who called me the other day. He said, Hey, I got an issue with my son. Uh, he's been hitting and biting people at daycare. We don't know what to do. I said, I said this in my head. I said, Well, your son's name's rowdy. Uh, so. That's what you got, okay? Like, you should have done something different, you know? Uh, but, uh, it, I went in and I proclaimed the good news and talked about parenting and how Jesus is shaping my heart and what, but in the moment I was like, well, you kind of getting what you got, you know? Like, you gave him the name. Uh, another, okay, like, my youngest son's middle name is Tripp, you know? Cause he's the third. It's also spelled T-R-I-P-P, and some people are like, well, this is cause you like Paul David Tripp. Yes, but that's not why. In the same way, I didn't name my daughter after John Piper. Like, I didn't name my kid after Paul Tripp. But he's also a Tripp. If you met him or hang out with him, like, that's who he is. And I love it. Sometimes it exasperates me and wears me out, but I love it. You see, names can mean things. And this is what the Hebrew writer is doing here in talking about Jesus, but, but they're not focused particularly on the name Jesus or Yeshua, which would be enough because that's God is salvation. Rather, in arguing that Jesus is greater than the angels, what, he, what they do is they continue with the premise of verse 4 regarding His greater inherited name by stating that no angel has ever been called son. Now throughout scripture, there are at times, the the angels at times are called sons of God, but it's a little less title. You see, only Jesus has been given the name son of God. Therefore, Jesus is greater than the angels in his sonship, which is to say uh, who he is. He's greater in who he is. He is greater in his identity. You see, this, this name son is something that he's always had and always will have. He is eternally the son. But He is also decreed as the Son by way of His resurrection. There's two Scriptures quoted here that argue this. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 and 2 Samuel 7, verse 14. These two Scriptures are declarations of Christ's Sonship by the Father. Again, the use here is meant to be is meant to separate Jesus as the Son from the angels who were at times called Son. Its meaning is different from the angels in that it, what it does is it's singling Jesus out as unique and set apart. And really it does this in two ways. We see that, again, that his sonship, if you, if you look through scripture, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 11, Jesus gets baptized when he comes out of the water, what happens? It says the heaven's open. uh, You know, the Spirit descends as a dove. Man, the Father says, man, this is my what? My beloved Son. This is the Son whom all my love's on. And He doesn't just say that. He goes further. He says, and I'm well pleased in Him. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus hasn't done any of the work yet. He hasn't gone to the cross. And yet, God says, no, this is His identity. He is my beloved Son in whom... I'm well pleased. You see also in this, there's a connection to the triumph of the resurrection. In Romans 1, verse 4, it says that Christ was declared the Son of God with power because of His resurrection. And so while Jesus has always been the Son, we see through His life, death, and resurrection that He not only holds it as an eternal right, but He also holds it by victory over sin, death, and Satan. Guess what? No angel can say that. Because no angel can save. That's why in Galatians 1, Paul, who's really fired up in Galatians 1, says, hey, look, if anyone comes to you, be it man or even an angel from heaven proclaiming a different gospel than Jesus, let them be cursed. No angel can save. And so when we hear this and we think about the Sonship of Jesus and who He is as the Son of God, what does that mean for us? What does that have to do with these circumstances of life as uh, we feel threat or pressure or suffering? Man, to know this means everything. For through Christ, the Son of God, we not only receive life, what do we receive? We receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. We receive the inheritance of being part of the family. We receive a new identity that is found not in what we do, but in what Christ has done. Scripture says we are literally in Christ. And so we see that He's greater because He is the true Son of God. With that, let's continue by looking at how Jesus is greater than the angels in His worthiness in nature by reading verses 6-12. through 12. It says this, And again, when He brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. Of the angels, He says, He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of Your kingdom. Alright, so what we find in light of Jesus being the Son is the writer continuing to argue the superiority of Christ above the angels. And what we see is a list of four more Old Testament references that state the following. The first thing we see is that Jesus is worthy of worship and the angels worship Him, not the other way around. This text comes from Deuteronomy 32 that we read as our call to worship. And what we see here is that Jesus is greater in that even the angels who cause people all throughout Scripture to fear and fall down as if dead, that they bow down and worship Jesus. But guess what? It's not just in Deuteronomy. In Luke 2, at Jesus' birth, it says that a multitude of heavenly hosts gave Him worship. And then in Revelation 5, when the Lamb of God, which is Jesus, takes the scroll... It says this, just imagine this for a moment, thousands of thousands worship him. It is talking about the it thousands of thousands begin to just praise the name of God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. we see that Jesus is worthy of worship and the angels worship Him, not the other way around. Second, in this text, we see that the angels are in service of Christ, not the other way around. This is a quote from Psalm 104, but it speaks to the authority that Jesus has over the angels and that they serve Him and what He decrees them to go and do. It says He makes His angels winds and ministers a flame of fire. So He sends them out. To do His bidding. Third, we see that Jesus is King forever. You see, after stating the role of the angels in verse 7, the writer quotes Psalm 45, 6 and 7 to describe the Messiah who would come and rule as an eternal King. This passage points to the superiority of Christ and it uses these kingly terms like throne, scepter, and anointing to describe His sovereignty. It says throne, or another way, His rule. It says it will never end. It will go on forever and ever. You see, David long ago was told that someone from his line would rule forever. Jesus is the one that would do that. It says his scepter, which is a mark of his authority. He says it is shown by his righteousness. And then it says he was anointed, which is another kingly term. He was anointed with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. This term oil of gladness uh, speaks similarly to Hebrews chapter 12 that it will get to in some time. Or we see that it says that Jesus, for the joy or gladness, the joy, the deep joy set before Him, despised the shame and went to the cross. That He was anointed in that way. And lastly, we see Jesus is eternal and unchanging, while the angels are not. For Christ, not the angels, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of His hands, not theirs. While everything else, is, everything else created is perishable, Jesus is imperishable, eternal, and unchanging. See, no angel can say that. They are created beings. He is the Creator. And so what does that mean for us? Well, in the midst of every circumstance, it's a reminder to look to Jesus as the object of our worship. We get real janky in life when we begin to look at other things as objects to be worshipped, do we not? When situations happen and you begin to say, well, if 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 I could just get there because the grass is greener. If the object of my worship could be money in my bank account, I'll, I'll go after that. You know, if I could just go after this new status or this new promotion or this new vehicle or this new thing or, uh, you know, uh, you know, for some, it's if I just get a new husband or a new wife or if, if, if you know, if I could just get new kids, uh, you know, I, but like we go after all of these things. And you think, well, if I could just get them there or get that there. And and yet, it fails. Because guess what? It's not worthy of worship. Only Jesus is. If the thousands of thousands cry out, why not you? Right? Like He is worthy. In every situation and circumstance. We have to quit looking elsewhere. But this also means that we have hope and security in our righteousness that leads to joy in and through it all. See, because Jesus has been anointed with the oil of gladness that led Him to suffer for us, because of that, we find joy in our righteousness through Christ alone. It's a righteousness we receive. And guess what? There's nothing better. There's no better gift. It satisfies the depths of our souls and gives us life. And then lastly, this should bring us great hope to remember that, guess what? Through it all, Jesus remains. Nothing else can say that. Christ is the only sure thing. Everything else shifts and moves and changes. Jesus does not. So this brings us to our last portion of Scripture regarding Jesus being greater than the angels. And so let's close out by reading verses 13 and 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? All right. so what we see here in closing... Is that Jesus is greater because no angel has ever been told to sit at the right hand of God until his enemies are made a footstool for their feet. Verse 13 again is pointing back to verse 3 and that Jesus is set down, but it's also recalling Psalm 110, which is a psalm that declares the Messiahship of Christ. You see, during this time period, it was custom for any ruler that found themselves defeated by another. What they would do at times is they would lay themselves down and kiss their conqueror's feet. And then in turn, the victorious king would put their feet on the neck of those who bowed down so that they became a footstool. Anyone ever experienced that? Have older siblings or cousins, right? this is what Jesus, God says, look, sit at my right hand and I will make every enemy will bow down. Because guess what? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. While it may not look fully so now, it will one day be. And so while Christ rules in authority, the angels, according to verse 14, serve the purposes of Christ for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal life. You see, this should bring us great hope that Christ sends us ministering spirits, angels, along the way. Now, I'm going to be the first to say, I don't know fully, I don't have a full understanding of how that works. And what that even looks like. If you have questions, ask Jeremy. (laughs) But what I can say for sure is that no matter how that comes about, it's all. All of it is for the purpose of us looking to Jesus as greater. For He is the Son of God who rules in authority and perfection. And so as we hear that, what is this position and authority? What does Jesus' position and authority mean for the follower of Jesus today? Well, I believe it means two things. First, we live into it. What I mean by that is we live into the finished work of Christ. Since Christ is seated, we know that the work is finished, and so we must quit leaning on ourselves and lean into Christ. Find rest in him, quit performing and receive the finished work that only he can bring about. And then, second, we live out of that same authority. As we live into Christ, we live out of that same authority because guess what? He holds all authority. And because He holds all authority and because He is always with us, Matthew 28 18 through 20, we are then to go and what? Make disciples, right, of all nations. We go and live lives that are freed up to proclaim the good news that Jesus is greater than all things seen and unseen. You see, a life that sees Jesus as greater looks to Jesus for identity, remembers His unchanging kingship through every circumstance and lives out lives of freedom that proclaim Him as such. You see, this is what we're called to. Church, are we proclaiming that? Are we living in light of that? Or today, are you looking to something else? In the hopes that it will bring you comfort and security, it won't. The grass will always look greener. But guess what? It'll just fade away, Scripture says. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Y'all get it, right? Like, go look at your grass at your house right now. It's struggling. But Jesus is not. He's the one that says, "Man, if man, if you're weary and heavy-laden, come to me and I'll give you rest." Like he, he he's the one that, that 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 Psalm 23 is talking about. Like he he's the good shepherd. He says, "Come to me. Quit looking elsewhere. Quit looking elsewhere, quit living into other things. Live for Christ." Pursue Jesus and let everything else fall where it will. And so I want to invite you to that today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you, man, to, to take some time to think about, man, what am I living into? What am I looking towards? Is it Jesus or is it something else? What, what do you think of when you think of what is the answer? What answers do you give? Is it Jesus or is it other things? Man, I want to invite you to lay those things at His feet today. Because as we sing, oh, like, praise the like His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And in light of that, we give Him praise. And so I want to invite you to that. To, to rest in the reality of, of His sonship that is both eternal and and bestowed upon him because of he, he the grave is empty and he is resurrected if you're following Jesus that you'd be to say God help me to believe my identity in Christ and then go and, live and proclaim his, who he is to others you would say that you would say if I'm giving my worship to any other thing may I repent and give it to Jesus give your worship to him and him alone that you would sit in the reality of his, his kingship and his authority. And that you would rest in the reality that, that, that he is making all things new. That he sits on the throne, and guess what? He's never nervous about having to stand up. Like, that's good news. That he doesn't sit back and like chew on his fingernails and wonder, oh man, is it gonna? Like, do I need to do something else? No, it's finished. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that's good news. That frees us up to then go out and live lives that proclaim that. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to that today. If you don't know that today, if you don't know that God is salvation. And it's only found in Jesus. And I invite you to that today. If you have questions about that, you can come talk to me. I'll be up here in the front. You can come and you can man, talk about it. What does it mean? May I, you, maybe you're saying, I worship so many other things. I've given my life over to so many other things that today you would come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so I invite you to those two things. As Jeremy comes up to lead us, um, I also want to invite, if you're a a disciple of Christ, I invite you to come and share in communion today. But as you do, I want you to be reminded of the resurrection power of the Son. And the price that He paid. But That, that this is the oil, the, the oil of gladness that He was anointed with. That He would, uh, for the joy set before Him, endure the cross and its suffering on our behalf. So you wouldn't just take it just to take it, but that you would be reminded of that. And that in doing that in remembrance of Him, that you would go and that you would say, God, Jesus, I'm going to give my life for the sake of proclaiming that to others. So I'm going to pray for us. And when you're ready to come share in communion, you can. We've got cups. You can grab a cup and a piece of bread or you can dip uh, in the cup as well. Uh, They're both juice, so um, do whatever you wish. Um, And then Jeremy uh, will lead us to close out in song. Jesus, we thank You that You are greater. That You are greater than the angels. That You are the greater David and the greater Moses. You were what we could not be. We give You glory and praise for that because salvation is only found in You. And I pray that as we reflect on Your greatness today that we would be drawn to worship and sing just as the angels are. That we would look to You in every situation knowing that You are on Your throne ruling as King and Messiah. And that You are interceding on our behalf. May we see You as the substance of focus of our lives, focus of our worship, the good news for our souls. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.